0: Life moves fast, and amidst the chaos, we try to keep up, and manage, and balance. Then, when it finally feels like things are under control, they begin to fall apart again. You wish you could just stop and focus on all the things that actually make you happy. But there's no time, and things keep moving, and all these things need your attention, and... Not so fast. Breathe. Reset. Let yourself lean into the peace of simplicity. And accept the gift of stillness that comes with quieting your soul. Refresh. There's something more, something bigger, buried beneath all these things you're piling on. A connection with God you don't want to miss out on. Refocus. The things that are blurry and unclear in the midst of chaos come into focus as you look through the lens of Christ. The peace you're hungry for? It's right here. And it starts with giving up the worry and control you've been feeding yourself. Goodness can be found in the chaos, but there's greatness in the depth of relationship that comes through calming your mind and trusting in prayer. Is your life running off the rails? Does it feel like all hope is lost? Not so. Fast.
1: Good morning. It is good to see that you survived this week and uh, some of you getting out of your house for the first time. Balmy weather this morning. It's amazing. Uh, good to have you here in Bellingham. Those of you in Skagit, glad that you're with us uh, there with Pastor Brian and the gang down there, as well as those in Belize uh, joining us this morning and uh, in Boca Raton down at the Trinity Church of God. And those of you online, uh, chances are with the weather, maybe more of you watching online than normal this morning. And if you want the sermon notes, if you go to the Cornwall Church app, the sermon notes are on there if you want to use that to follow along. Uh, Those not only in this area, but around the country. It's always great to have you. And it's fun to hear where you're watching from this week. I got uh, a a little bit of a shout out. Some people were watching uh, Cornwall service and participating in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, Specifically, a a little boy, six-year-old boy named Bristol. was watching with his grandmother Karen and while they were watching the service he was drawing Uh, and then he decided that he would draw a picture of me so they sent that as well Uh, this is a picture of me and then he decided he would sound out my name and he spelled it um, there so uh, that's uh, maybe we'll just leave it at that Uh, hey next time draw Pastor Brian would you 15 or 1600 years ago, uh, the early church fathers who took very, very seriously the spiritual journey of becoming more like Christ, uh, they identified these capital vices in their life that they felt like, if I could overcome these things, it would sure help out because these were they're seen as capital vices because these would lead to other things. So if they were overcome, it would eliminate a lot of other uh, rebellion or disobedience in their life. Over the years, these capital vices that they sought to overcome became known as the seven deadly sins. Maybe you've heard of those. It's not a list that you find in the Bible. They're all biblically based, but it's not a list like the fruit of the Spirit or the acts of the sinful nature or anything of that nature. But there's things like pride and envy and lust and and greed. And one of them that we rarely hear about was gluttony. Uh, we hear a lot about gluten-free, but not a lot about glutton-free. Not, not a lot of sermons on gluttony these days. But what was interesting is that these early church fathers, in their striving to overcome these capital vices that wanted to draw them away from from Christ, they would in, uh, involve themselves in spiritual disciplines. And one of the spiritual disciplines that they would use, not only there would be prayer and submission to the Spirit and quiet and solitude and the Word of God, but one of the spiritual disciplines that they would um, Put themselves under would be uh, this spiritual discipline that is kind of the antithesis of gluttony. And it's a spiritual discipline that men and women of God have participated in for literally thousands of years, but we rarely hear about it these days, and it's widely ignored. It's this discipline of fasting, in a sense a self-abasement, to fast. And last week, we started this series called Not So Fast because I thought it was high time that we hear about it, and we're gonna go for three weeks in studying, to learn, to explore, to discover what is the true biblical nature of this discipline of fasting, and can we resurrect that in our day? Is it relevant to us? And following the three weeks of study in January, We're going to invite you into a three-week experience to experience fasting to whatever level or degree you would like to try that in February and to do this together as a church. What I'd like to do today in our time is spend the lion's share of our time uh, in the remainder of our service looking at what did Jesus specifically say, what did he specifically teach about fasting? And then at the very end, I'd like to spend just a little bit of time on some practical how to, what is fasting, help us grow in our understanding about that. So I want us to look and dive into what Jesus said about fasting. As we've mentioned last week, <clears throat> there was an instance where Jesus and his disciples had lunch with a guy named Matthew, lunch or dinner. It was a meal with with Matthew who was a tax collector and he had his friends. So you had Jesus and the 12 disciples. You have Matthew, this tax collector who's far from God and all of his tax collector buddies. This did not go unnoticed. The Pharisees were upset about who Jesus was eating with and there may have been, my speculation as I said last week, may have been that this could have been on a Monday or Thursday and that some were not only uh, upset about who he was eating with but the fact that they were eating at all uh, on those days. And so just quick review in Matthew chapter nine, verse 14, it says, then John's disciples, not the Pharisees, John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And it was understood by many that the Pharisees and John's disciples fasted two days a week, usually Monday and Thursday. This was not a biblical mandate, it was a man-made structure. Now hear me out. I am not saying that man-made structures, even in the spiritual discipline area, are a bad thing. Structure can be very good for us because it will give us tracks to run on for our intentions. So we have good intentions. This helps us to play those out. It allows us to have some systematic way to fall through. The problem is sometimes man-made structures can become legalistic. They can be guilt-inducing or pride-inducing, and they can suck the very life out of what is supposed to give life. So Jesus, in this instance, decides that he is not gonna conform to the man-made structure of this fasting two days a week because it's not a biblical mandate, and he and his disciples did not. He said, nope, not gonna do that. It doesn't mean he didn't fast as we saw last week. He started his ministry with 40 days of fasting. He just simply said, I'm not gonna be uh, constricted to this man-made set of rules of how this plays out. What we find and what we'll see is that Jesus doesn't reject, but restores proper fasting. He says there should be some freedom in this, not this restrictive, guilt-induced legalism, that there's a freedom from that. There's a freedom from the legalism. There's a freedom from the lifeless, the drudgery, the burden. And there's a freedom too. There's a freedom to experience this with joy, willingly, and to know all that God has for us. And that's what I long for us to discover, the freedom that Jesus brought and taught about fasting. So his response in verse 15 was this. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, in these words, then they will fast. As we said last week, Jesus doesn't give the the strict parameters of they will fast on these days. He doesn't say they will fast from these things. He doesn't say how often they'll fast. He doesn't say how long they'll fast. He simply says they will fast, which begs the question, because he's speaking of those who would come after him like us. He says then they will fast, begs the question of us, do we? And for most of us, the answer is no, partly because we're not aware of it. That's why we're trying to tackle that issue, and partly because it means self-denial. Now, we're going to come back to this Matthew 9 passage in about 23 minutes. Don't hold me to that. But in about two-thirds of the way through this, we're going to come back to this because he talks about being the bridegroom. Quick review, the definition for fasting. Fasting is this voluntary denial for spiritual purposes. Voluntary. It's not, I don't don't wanna put guilt and coerce and twist arms, there's a willingness and even an eagerness to deny ourselves, to forego something, and not just for the sake of saying no, saying no to something good so that we can say yes to something even better for spiritual purposes, to draw near to God. Today, um, as we look at Jesus' words, I want us to start off in Matthew chapter six. So if you have your Bible or your devices and you wanna follow along, Matthew chapter 6. As some of you are aware, this comes right in the heart of what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, it says Jesus uh, is seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. He began teaching them, and he said, and then he goes into the Beatitudes. Starts off, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Interesting, the fourth Beatitude is blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. When he goes through the Beatitudes, he starts telling his followers that they are the salt of the earth, they're the light of the world, and then through the rest of chapter 5, he does this whole, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Then he gets into chapter 6, and in chapter 6, the first half of chapter 6, Jesus addresses three specific issues of spiritual discipleship. He talks about giving, he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. Fasting. And in all three of these, it's interesting, if you look at it, the structure at which he teaches, the things he says about these three aspects of giving, of praying, and fasting are very, very similar. There's the the structure that he starts off as he says, don't do it this way, do it this way, and here's the reward. He does that with giving, he does it with prayer, and he does it with fasting. Now, it's interesting because I would think most of us would think and believe and agree that part of being a follower of Jesus in spiritual discipleship is some some aspect of giving and generosity, of sharing. Now, you may or may not uh, practice or believe in tithing. That's that's up to you, okay, whatever. But I would think that if you're a follower of Christ, you would know that there's something, enough in Scripture that talks about giving and being generous with the resources that God has entrusted to you. So we say, well, that's kind of a foregone conclusion. I think it'd be hard-pressed to find followers of Jesus that say prayer is not important. Of course it is. That's a, a part of us connecting in this relationship. So we we say, yeah, giving is good and and prayer is good, but then we ignore this third one that Jesus put right in line there, just back to back to back, this fasting thing. And in all three of these, where there's such similarities, in all three of these, there's this little two-word phrase that he uses over and over again. He uses it twice with each of of them. And it's an interesting little phrase, and we'll see it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. He says, when you fast. He says it's about giving. When you give, don't do it this way. When you give, do it this way. When you pray, don't do it this way. When you pray, do it this way. When you fast, don't do it this way. When you fast, do it this way. And when he says these words, when you, there's incredible freedom with that. And there's also this implied anticipation, if not even expectation. He says, when you, not if you, and not you must. And this is maybe something we ought to wrestle with. He doesn't say, if you happen to decide, you know, because we see it as this optional equipment for those who are super spiritual or really desperate. And he doesn't say you must, he doesn't command it, it's not a command, but but he commends this whole discipline. When you fast. And it's interesting, as he does this, he recognizes that fasting, along with any spiritual discipline, is highly susceptible to being misunderstood and to be misappropriated and to be misused and even abused, that there's an easy way that we can corrupt it, that it is fraught with hazards to be overcome. So he gives us word of warning and he says, beware the dangers and the pitfalls. This is where he starts with the, the fasting thing. And we think, okay, dangers and pitfalls of fasting, and immediately we think of all the, the physical dangers. And, I, and I've heard this, you know, well, well, boy, that could lead to some ascetic life. It could be out of control and radical. And maybe it would be some kind of an eating disorder. And then what about the blood sugar levels and all that? And how about the diabetics? And should they even be doing this? And then there might be malnutrition and emaciation. And you die of starvation. Good. Those are probably true for some. Jesus doesn't even talk about those as being dangerous because he knows it would be such a minute segment of his disciples that even when we come close to that, that there's a far more prevalent and insidious danger, and it's not physical, it's spiritual. And this has always been the case. Last week when we looked at the history that Israel was required to to fast on the Day of Atonement. And then later, four other times a year, and at certain seasons and certain, certain uh, situations where they as a nation would come together, humble themselves before the Lord, confess their sins, and, and, and seek his uh, involvement in their situation. Interesting thing that we find in Isaiah 58, which by the way, a little side note. Isaiah 58 is a fantastic chapter. For some of you who are like really kind of wanting to learn more, spend some time, don't just read, spend some time in Isaiah 58 to look at what it says about fasting. But in that, in Isaiah 58 verse three, it says, they're, they're saying, why have we fasted and you've not seen it? God, we, we said no, you know, we gave up the food. We, we did all that. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? God, we've done everything you've said. We're fasting, we're humbling ourselves. God's reply is, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Later in that same chapter, he says, you cannot fast as you do today and expect to be heard on high. In the, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, God addresses us again. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Here they are, they're fasting, they're praying, they're they're sacrificing. And God says, I'm not going to listen to it. So they're saying, well, why do we even do this? It's apparent that something is wrong. Either what they're doing, how they're doing it, or why they're doing it is wrong. That there's some fundamental mistake in the way that they are living out this spiritual discipline. So the Israelites obviously got it wrong the Pharisees got it wrong. Jesus' disciples would get it wrong. And he knew that that we were highly susceptible to get it wrong as well. So he says, let me just start off in my teaching about fasting to tell you how not to do this. All right. Matthew 6, 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now, he uses a generic term, hypocrites, probably pointed mostly at the Pharisees, but maybe beyond that. And he says, they're going around looking somber, like there's this outward appearance that it's real obvious that they're fasting, and they distort their face. I don't know what that's like. I'm I don't know what it means to distort your face, but whatever it was, It was real obvious and they were making it obvious that they were engaged in this spiritual discipline of fasting. I mentioned the Monday, Thursday thing. Uh, Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline uh, in his chapter on fasting, he says that Monday and Thursdays were market days when more people would come to Jerusalem, would come to the city and that the Pharisees would choose Monday and Thursday to fast because they would have a broader audience, more people to see how spiritual they were rather than on some random Tuesday or what have you, there'd be more people there. So that was the day that they chose to fast. It would be like this. If you decided I'm gonna fast and I'm gonna go to Costco on a Sunday afternoon on a Canadian weekend, (laughs) holiday weekend, and there's people everywhere and they're giving out free samples and you want say, oh no, I could not. No, I shall not eat your free sample. I am fasting today. What's that? Oh, you didn't speak. That must be my stomach growling I heard because I'm fasting. To do this for everyone to see. And he says, listen, if that's the purpose, then enjoy it because that's all the rewards you're gonna get. God's not gonna listen. He's not gonna take your, it's not, he will not be engaged in that. I wanna just say this. That as your pastor, I can speak to you today as an expert on fasting. But it will be a confession. I will say this, and I say it not in a pride-filled way. You'll see why in a minute. Fasting has been a part of my spiritual discipline for decades. But I want to tell you, I cannot even count how many times I've done it wrong. There have been times when I have fasted And it has produced pride within me and God opposes the proud and the whole idea of fasting is to humble yourself before the Lord. And I found myself filled with this self-righteousness. There have been times when I have fasted and other people are aware that I'm fasting and I'm aware that they're aware and there's something inside me that says, I like that they're aware that I'm fasting. And Jesus says, well, enjoy that because that's the only benefit you're gonna get. There have been times when I have fasted and it is nothing more than legalism. There have been times when I have fasted and it's this begrudging obligation. I feel like I have to, whatever, I'm the pastor, I need to, whatever, and it is not a joy-filled, willing, uh, eager uh, anticipation of meeting God. It's this obligation. There have been times when I have fasted and I have become like a Pharisee because I would say, well, now, technically, this isn't really eating. Is What is eating? Let me just say, if you start off this, well, technically, then you're, you're off already. I have fasted with selfish motives in hum, somehow thinking that I would be able to deserve God's blessing. I have done this wrong so much in my life. And my biggest fear going into this teaching and into what we're doing in February is that somehow I would lead us in to some wrong practice of something that God gave us to be humbling and life-giving and glorifying to him and, and to change us. The last thing I want is for this to produce pride in any of us. The last thing I want is for this to be a legalistic thing, to be a guilt-motivated thing, to be a selfishly driven thing. Because it will not do any good. In fact, it will have the adverse effect of what Jesus gave it to us for in the first place. So he says, so when you fast, don't, (laughs) don't do it like the Pharisees or Pastor Bob. Learn from them. And then he says, instead, do this. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. Now listen, don't get hung up on the whole oil over your head. You know, know, no, no, just what he's saying is, hey, take a shower, comb your hair, brush your teeth. Just don't make it obvious that that this shouldn't be obvious for everybody to, they shouldn't be able to look at you and say, She's fasting. Oh, he's fasting. Yeah, just like. now here's another, another little side note. I don't believe that Jesus is saying that it is absolute total secrecy that you must fast in. If that was the condition, We would have never known that Moses fasted. We would have never known that Jeremiah fasted. We would have never known that Esther fasted. We would have never known that Daniel fasted. We would have never known that Paul fasted or Jesus fasted or Anna fasted. It's not this absolute secrecy. In fact, if you're gonna fast, chances are you may need to tell in your family, you know, your spouse or your family, just kind of so they know what's going on. It's not about absolute secrecy. It's about the motive, See, there's a big difference here. Listen to this. There's a big difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. Big difference there. What he's saying is, listen, don't make it obvious. So if you're in a situation and there's food and they're offering stuff, don't say, oh, no, 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 I could not. I'm Just say, hey, you know, no thanks. No, I'm good. Not now. Th- thanks, though. Appreciate it. Just don't make it obvious. He so said the one person that should be obvious to is your Father. Make sure that you are fasting before the Lord for His purposes. I, I think it was uh, Chris Hodges who said, "You know this whole concept of saying no to say yes, he, he explained it this way. It's to disconnect from the world in order to connect. It, it's to, to disconnect from all of these, these things in the world to connect with God. Th- that we disconnect from the physical from the material to connect with the spiritual. That, that we disconnect from the seen so we can connect with the unseen. That I disconnect from my desires, my wants, my will, my wishes, my passions, so that I can connect with God's wants, God's will, God's desire, God's purposes, God's passions. That it's saying no in order to say yes. Uh, Philip Brooks said this, and I, I love this, this quote, It's pretty, um, uh, graphic's not the right word. It's just, okay, let me just read it. You have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. We've been just grazing the things of the world, the stuff, the attention, the affections, the passions, all this, and our soul is all filled up and there's no room for the greatness of God. It's to say, you know what, I'm gonna push away from the table of this world to connect with my heavenly Father. I want to get to the point where my, my physical hunger gives me a desire for a greater spiritual hunger. My desire for the food and the things of this world will push me to a desire for the things of God. And Jesus says, when you fast, don't do it this way. Do it this way, and then he says the reward. Verse 18, and your father... Who is unseen? your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'm a simple man. But this is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. When you fast, don't do it for the purpose of being seen and thought you were wonderful. Do it before God. And if and when you fast and you do it right, God will reward you. Straight up. That reward might be a deeper, sweeter connection with God, a deep sense of worship. It might be some spiritual insight, a breakthrough. It might be some victory over a sin. It might be dying to yourself and alive in Christ. It might be some, some biblical truth that you've never seen before, some guidance, some, some direction that he has for you. There, there's something that God will reward you in this. Now, I want to ask you, if that's the case, If fasting connects us with our heavenly father and brings a reward from him, do you think we might ever experience some resistance to something of that nature? Absolutely. Listen, here's the truth. Fasting is hard. That's why you haven't done it. That's why most people don't do it. And there's resistance when you decide, okay, I want to do this. I want to engage. I want to experience this. There's going to be resistance. You might get resistance from family and friends who have to know about it. don't, don't Don't go getting radical on us now. You know, you're going to die. Okay. You might experience some spiritual resistance. Jesus faced his greatest temptation after a season of fasting. Let me remind you of that. The biggest resistance you will face is from the one who is closest to you, your own body. Because if you choose to fast this way, Two hours into it, your stomach's going to say, hello, did you forget about us? We're down here. And you say, just hush. Another 15 minutes, 20 minutes, hour later, your stomach will be swearing at you, cursing you. And if you continue to put it aside, another hour later, your stomach will be like a spoiled brat in the candy aisle of the Piggly Wiggly that mom said no to. (laughs) Throwing a temper tantrum going off. And then, then your head might kick in, especially if you, fast from coffee. Just hold on. on. You might get this headache. Your head might be saying, this isn't good, this isn't healthy, we're gonna blow up. And then, you will recall to mind the words that you heard a wise pastor once say at Cornwall Church. You will remember the words when Pastor Bob said, don't do this legalistically and don't do it begrudgingly and you will begin to rationalize and justify, I sure wouldn't want to be legalistic. If I follow through with that, this is legalistic and I'm doing it grudgingly and and Bob said not to and so you will get to this point where you say, well, I've got to decide, am I gonna just do this legalistically and begrudgingly or am I just gonna power through? Let me offer a third suggestion to overcome to say, I knew this was happening. And I'm going to let these growling and this headache point my mind not to, oh, I can't eat, but to, I get to engage with my heavenly Father. God, I want a deeper hunger for you. I want to be satisfied by you. And Jesus said, when you fast, don't do it this way, do it this way, and God will reward you. Back to that Matthew 9 passage. Remember, Jesus said, hey, how how can they do this while the bridegroom is here? Then they will. The bridegroom will be taken away. Jesus will go. And then they will fast. What's interesting is Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that that event. And all three of them record what Jesus said in that context directly after that. Here's my guess. If you grew up in church, you have heard sermons and vision talks and all kinds of things on what Jesus said after this, but never in relationship to the context in which he was saying it. This is how he follows it up. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Chances are, if you grew up in church, you have heard sermons on this passage. You've heard talks on this passage. This was vision casting passage but you've probably never heard it in the context of which Jesus spoke it. He says these words when he's questioned about fasting. And it's interesting because, and, and I love, um, maybe next year if we do this again, I'll, I'll go into this more. John Piper in his book, A Hunger for God, does a great job of explaining this, that in the context of fasting, what Jesus is saying with this passage is it's, it's not no fasting, it's new fasting. Fasting. It's a new way of doing this discipline because in the old covenant, they were longing for and waiting for the the Messiah and they were under the law and they were trying to be in a right relationship with God and all this fasting and mourning and repentance. And Jesus says, now, hey, the bridegroom is here. We got to stop. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in him tonight. He's here. And then he says, and I'm going to go and I will send the Holy Spirit and you will fast, but it will be different this time. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he says, at that point, fasting is feasting. Because now, we get to spend this time with the presence of the living God, through Jesus and his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, his word right there, that the fulfillment, it's not that someday there'll be the Messiah, we've been welcomed into his family by his grace, and because of that, now we can feast in his presence. Let me take this a little out of context. In Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus said, Behold, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's using that symbolically, metaphorically. That there's this feasting, Jesus said, We will we will feast together, and that our desire and our hunger for God will just increase. And maybe at that point, we can say with the psalmist, taste and see that the Lord is good. blesses is the man who takes refuge in him. Jesus said, here's the, re- here's the deal. This is my teaching. The summation of all Jesus' teaching on fasting. When you fast, don't do it for the praise man. Do it for God, and God will reward you. Then you will fast, but it's a new fast. And this fasting is feasting. What a beautiful beautiful gift. All right. Now, let me spend a few minutes talking about some practicality, just some how to, some understanding this thing of fasting. That's the teaching of Jesus. By the way, most of that sermon was stolen from Jesus. Just wanted to tell you that. All right. So let's talk about it. So, okay, this is new. I kind of think we understand it. Let me talk about some different ways of fasting. Just kind of help you kind of maybe start thinking this way. One is what is often referred to as the normal fast. or It's sometimes also referred to as a regular fast. And it's the primary way you see in scripture of people fasting, and that is to say no to food. It's to give up food. Um, You know, after 40 days, Jesus was hungry. He didn't eat. It doesn't say he was thirsty, so it's not giving up water. The normal regular fast is this idea of we give up food, we have water, but we give this up, say no to this, so we can focus our attention and our hunger for more of God. With that said, if you engage in a normal or regular fast, one of the great um, suggestions would be during that normal mealtime is to break away, if you can, to spend some time in God's Word, to spend some time in prayer, to spend some time in confession, to spend some time in worship, because the whole purpose is not to just not eat, but to connect with your Father, And as you go on through the day and your stomach is growling, let that be a trigger. Let that be a reminder. Every time your stomach growls, say, oh, yes, yes. Lord, I just want to hunger more for you. And if you do that, you will be praying without ceasing. It's a beautiful thing. Now, some would say on a normal fast, you might want to, if necessary, add like some lemon juice to your water just for some flavor. Some would say even have some light juice. Can I emphasize the word light juice? Because you know, right now in your head, you're thinking like I do. Put anything in a blender long enough, it becomes juice. Now, there we go, meatloaf, why not? Mashed potatoes, put in a roll, just blend that thing up. As long as it comes through a straw, it's juice. No, that's called the nursing home. Listen, what we're talking about here is this juice, is a light juice, but it's to say no to food and to have water or, and or light juice. That's just kind of the normal fast. There's there's an interesting time in John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are in Samaria. The disciples go into town to buy some food. Jesus meets a woman at the well, asks for some water. They come back out, and they're trying to get Jesus to eat. And he makes this statement. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I have this manna. And the disciples are like, someone bring him a snack pack. He said, no, 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 you're missing it. I have been feasting because I've been doing the will of God. So that's, that's like your normal fast. Now, I will say this. For some of you, medically, physically, it would not be wise for you to do this. Maybe with your medication or some diabetes or with child or whatever it might be. There, there are medical conditions where this would not be wise. And maybe for some of you are saying, I'm just, man, I want to try this, but I'm not ready for that. Well, another one is a way of fasting. It's called the partial fast. Some would refer to it as a selective fast. It's where you say, well, I'm not gonna not eat, but there's certain elements of my diet that I'm going to forego for a meal, a day, a season, however long. You see this with Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're taken into Babylon as captivities. Daniel chapter one, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, uh probably part of this is it was not kosher it did not fit the levitical dietary laws it may have had pork and lobster and a bunch of those things that we eat he said i'm not going to do that i'm not going to defile myself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way please he said test your servants for 10 days give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink this is a partial fast It's not that they're not eating, but he said there's certain parts of this diet we are not going to engage in. We're not gonna eat this, we're not gonna drink this, we're gonna stick to this. And they do, and for 10 days, you read it on your own, after the 10 days, they looked healthier than the rest of the group and they continued on that way. This is the idea of finding areas in my life where I say, you know, for this day, for this meal, for this season, whatever it might be, I'm just gonna say no, just here's some thoughts. Maybe I say, for this time, I'm going to say no to meat. I'm not going to eat meat in, in, in my diet. I'm going to put dairy aside. Or I'm going to, I'm going to not do fast food for this season. Or, or maybe I'm not going to do carbs, whatever it might be. Maybe you say, I'm going to eliminate alcohol. I'm not going to consume alcohol. Or caffeine. Hang with me. <laughs> or Soda. I'm, just, I'm not going to drink pop. I'm just, I'm just going to do water. I'm just going to do juice and water. Maybe it's, it's one of those kind of things. Here's one for me. Cookies. I love cookies. We always have a bag of cookies in the freezer so I can just take one whenever I want. We do them in the freezer so they're not in a cookie jar because they would not last in a cookie jar. Maybe it's just, a, you know what, I'm, I'm going to... Desserts, candy, sugar... Uh, process whatever it might be and here's the key on this one is that it's something that that you would actually miss I said so that's it no cheese whiz or spam for me okay well most of you maybe not all probably haven't had cheese whiz or spam since you were in Hawaii last I, I don't know I mean for me I said that's it no Brussels sprouts or any cabbage products I wouldn't miss them at all I just I hate that stuff and say this is something that that's not a bad thing. Remember, this isn't about giving up a vice. That's obedience. This is about saying this is a good thing. I'm going to choose to say no, to focus my attention. Later, Daniel in Daniel chapter ten, it says, "At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. That's the 21 days. We're going to talk about that more next week. That's what we're going to do in February. For three weeks, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips." He said, "This is a selective fast. I'm, I'm just going to put this aside for this season." here's another one, and I don't really like this word, because I I don't feel like it, but we're using it. Others have used it. It's the soul fast. Someone last night suggested we refer to this as the comfort fast. Here's my definition of this category. Non-dietary, non-necessary. Like we're not talking about food now. Now we're talking about something else in our life that we could actually spend the rest of our life and never have to use or have, but we would miss it. Again, it would be something that you're aware of. Like for me, if I said, okay, that's it. No more Pinterest, NPR, or The View. You know what? I don't listen to NPR, I don't watch The View, and I'm not on Pinterest. So that, that, that's not the kind of thing. Let me, let me just meddle a little bit, okay? Here's some what ifs. What if you said, for this season, no Netflix, or Disney Plus, or Amazon Prime, or TV at all? What if you said, I'm going to do a media fast? What if it's a social media fast? No Snapchat, no Instagram, no Facebook. I'm just going to, I'm just going to turn that off for this season. What if it's video games? What if it's music? You say, but there's, I'm just saying, it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying these are bad. What are some God-given gifts that you regularly participate and enjoy that you're going to say, I'm willing to forego that for a while so I can put my attention solely on God? And every time I want to, that will be a reminder. Focus my eyes on God. And maybe it's some hobby. I, I don't know what it is. Some creature comfort that you give up for the sake of seeking God deeper and closer. Back to that passage in Daniel chapter 10. There's an interesting little piece. He says, and... And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Again, don't get caught up on this. Please, use deodorant. That's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) I think what he's saying is there are some creature comforts that are not a bad thing. But I just said, for this season, this is part of my diet I'm not going to engage in. These are some creature comforts that God has given to me. They're good. But I'm going to seek something better. Can I throw one more out there that's biblical? For husbands and wives that are in a covenant, lifelong relationship of marriage, God has given to you a beautiful gift. And there might even be a season where you say, you know what, while this is a gift from God and it's beautiful in the context of a life marriage between a husband and a wife, maybe we will say no. And Paul references this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not deprive each other, he's talking sexually here, except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says it's not a bad thing, this is a gift from God in the right context, but it's simply saying no to this so that I can say yes to something greater. Detaching myself, disconnecting from all of the, the desires of the world to desire God on a greater level. So here's the essence of the teaching of Jesus. Then they will fast, but it's a new fast, and it's feasting in the very presence of the living God. And when you fast, don't fast for the praise of man, but for the purposes of God, and God will reward you. God rewards fasting because fasting expresses the cry of the heart that nothing on the earth can satisfy our souls besides God then we say with the psalmist, Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So last week, I told you about this thing we're gonna do in February, February 1 through 21. And I didn't ask you to agree to it. I didn't ask you to sign up. I asked you to just simply pray, God, is this something that you would have me be a part of? And here's how I want if you're willing, I want to challenge you to begin praying this week. God, what is it that you would have me to fast? And for how long? And we'll talk some more about this next week. Is there something that I should give up for the entire 21 days? Is there something I should give up for a meal, for a day, or for several days? What is it? Is there several different layers that you want me to? Just begin to pray. It's not a competition. It's not a judgmental thing. You might want to discuss it with family, friends, small group, what have you. You might want to discuss it as a family. What can we as a family say no to so that we as a family can pursue God? How cool would that be to teach your children about delayed gratification and seeking something greater than what this world has to offer? But to do it in a way, to recognize God has given this to us to freely, willingly, eagerly, joyfully engage in, doesn't mean it will be easy but he will reward that. So begin praying about that, and then we'll continue on.